listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 69, covering Unnatural Selection and A Matter of Honor with Amanda Smith. Hello, friends. We're back. And my wife's here again. Cause yep. It's been, I don't know, a week. Summoned from the other room. We, uh, we You specifically requested to, to come on when uh, we had a Pulaski episode so we can yell at Matt together. Oh, boy. And this is the most Pulaski-centric episode of the season, as I recall. So I'm hey. excited for this development. There's also a Riker Klingon episode. so uh, Which is much better. We all agreed that that one was great, right? Mm-hmm. That one was great. Okay. Yep. Well, Amanda, why don't you now tell us about Unnatural Selection? Let's get this synopsis done quickly so I can begin my list of reasons that Matt is wrong and hates all women. Matt, did you get your head hit at the end of season one or something? (laughs) Yes, but that has nothing to do with this. (laughs) The Enterprise is rushing around, tripping over anomalies and not fighting any Romulans at all, when they come across a derelict spaceship, the USS Lantry. Oddly, it's not a Reliant class or another twin of the Enterprise. They exercise a surprising amount of caution, maybe everyone learned a thing or two from their encounters with the Ferengi headache ball, and instead of sending half the bridge crew over into a dangerous situation, they turn on the view screen remotely and see that everyone on the bridge has turned into mummies. Pulaski uses her doctoring skills, you'll notice the doctoring, not mothering skills she possesses, to determine that the crew has all died of old age. It turns out that the Lantry had just left a genetic research station. Nothing suspicious about that at all. Oh, naughty, naughty genetic engineers. They've been creating, not breeding, a new race of telepathic supermen, because that worked so well in the early 1990s. The genetic engineers have all caught age, but their super children haven't. They plead with Pulaski to have the children whisked away from the scientific home for the elderly, but she refuses, quoting quarantine procedure. The engineers mention that the children are a huge leap forward in science, and that suddenly changes Pulaski's tune. She's got a good head on her shoulders. Science is more important than a few super children. They run some tests, and the science babies seem to be uninfected. And Pulaski asks Picard if she can go onto one of the plentiful shuttles with them and test it without infecting the rest of the ship. Because she's got courage of her convictions, unlike some doctors I could mention. She is then infected with age. Q-Matt saying, how can you tell? It turns out that the kids' special genes mean that their antibodies kill everyone they come into contact with. Hooray. But there's no Tasha in for my favorite Enterprise Doctor, as O'Brien, who now has a name, a name that will be said 50 to 100 times a minute in this episode, discovers a way to transport the virus out of her. The children are doomed to a life of isolation, and the rest of the genetic engineers are fixed as well, I I guess. Against all original series tradition, they head back to the plague ship and destroy it, rather than leaving it in space to collide with a sentient probe or god or whatever. And everyone heaves a huge sigh of relief that their competent doctor is saved and is able to go back to keeping them alive despite the horrors of space disease. (laughs) Yeah, I I really enjoyed this one. Well, let's go through your good thing, bad thing first. So, um, I have so many, many good things about this episode. But mainly it's that the doctor solves a medical mystery. I'd gotten so used to everyone else having to do it while Beverly whined about humanity or motherhood or something. Okay, well, yeah, I agree with that. I like the way everything unfolded. We have procedures. Like, everyone acts... This feels like everyone in Starfleet is acting the way they should act, and 
they they are cautious, but it's not like a bunch of waiting around and boring. Like, well, let's send a probe. Now let's send another probe. Now let's. What like, happened to the third probe? <laughs> yeah. Send some probes to go look for. Well, it. That's why probes are always colliding into stuff because you have to send out three. <laughs> we have to you send a class anything. five probe and then a class four probe. You have to send all the probes. No, it's nice because everything unfolds pretty quickly, but it all like everyone's taking the right precautions. They don't just beam right over. They don't just like I mean. Everyone's being careful, and it's a big it's a big plot point that Pulaski kind of takes a couple of risks that we Would usually have doomed the ship. Yeah, we we well no, it never dooms the ship. That's the point. We used to just take it for granted that people would charge right in, but instead they make a big deal out of the fact that she wants to go in by herself and then not beam back because it would endanger the ship, and that's a big deal. No, and when she catches the disease, she says, "No, we are going to quarantine this entire planet. No one else is going to catch this disease." Yeah, I'm fucked. You can send data back as long as you can make sure he's not infected. <laughs> Wipe sure it down. Make yeah. sure it didn't get into his pores. Right, because he has pores. <laughs> Captain, there's a bunch of disease hiding out in one of his pores. Damn it! I thought we looked everywhere. Send another. Send a pore probe. <laughs> that's a class eight probe, by the way. <laughs> a nano probe. <laughs> Uh, and your bad thing? Um, my bad thing is that I liked what they were trying to do by putting Pulaski and Picard at odds, but it was kind of flimsy and resolved as soon as Picard realized that she was a fan of his before she ever came on the ship. See, I like that. I like that she was an admirer of his. I feel like people across the fleet are, like, wanting to serve under the great jail Picard. <laughs> no, I like that, she's, uh, that she was a fan, but that feels like that's the reason that all of a sudden he doesn't, like feel like he has to fight her anymore. Oh, well, she's a fan. Well, if she <laughs> likes me, I suppose that's all. She right. likes me on Facebook. <laughs> she thinks I'm cute. <laughs> no, there's a, there, there is sort of a very neat character arc that starts out and completely gets resolved within the single episode, and I think that's less a sign of bad writing and more a sign of there's no serialization in this show and you have to resolve all your conflict in one episode. Yeah, but her right. conflict with Data started in an earlier episode and we see some further progression in this episode where she treats him less like a toaster That's and true. more like a guy. In fact, she makes a, a usual dig at him and then she's, she backs off. She's like, oh, I'm sorry, that was inappropriate. I'm sorry, I might have died. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I just, I liked it. And I liked, you know, again, within the confines of a show that more or less has to wrap everything up week to week, I think they did a good job with that. I also think that this felt sort of like the best possible way a spec script could be sent in. Like, I don't know if this is a spec script or not, but it feels like someone on the outside looks at the things that they're doing every week and going, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> no, you don't send all of your first officer head guys over onto the dangerous ship. You check things out first, and then you do this. And then at the end, you go back and you clean up the mess. Yeah, I love that they go back and destroy the yeah. ship. And there's a great moment where they have to blow up the ship full of skeletons. Which I would, you know, and plague. Yeah, but I just like the idea that there's a, skip, a ship full of skeletons out there, like it's yes, crewed by skeleton ship, right? Exactly, by a, a skeleton, skeleton crew. The Grim Fandango, the USS Grim Fandango. <laughs> right. Oh man, but, uh, there's rock. This, there's this great moment. First, they put up a, a beacon that says "Stay the fuck away from the ship." It's got skeleton disease, which you know is going to mean it'll be swarming with Ferengi's. <laughs> of course. <laughs> oh well, that must be a human trick. They put all their treasure on here. <laughs> <laughs> they use skeletons as currency, right? <laughs> I am Damon uh, Charles Nelson Riley. Oh. <laughs> um, no, no Ferengi's had glasses. The the beacon thing is nice, but the, well, only the ones that are allergic to Retinox Five. Um, 
the, the beacon is a nice touch. Just in, like I said, there's a lot of nice little details about how Starfleet guys handle themselves. It's not boring. It just, yes, that makes sense. You do that, and then you do the next thing. But at the end, where they have to destroy the ship, they all stand at attention, and there's this great solemn moment. And again, they don't spend too long on it. But it feels right. It feels like, well, this sucks. These, we knew these guys were dead, but it sucks that we now have to blow up the ship. Let's all have a moment of silence. And it was it was classy. I like that. Also, along the same good light, writing lines, the... Um... Super chill, the super child that they beam over is a telepath because they're breeding that into, right. uh, or the engineering, I should say, that into the, their people. Mm-hmm. Um, Data can't hear it when he telepaths at them, <laughs> which makes sense because Data doesn't have brain waves. Yeah, no, but occasionally but... when Data feels things, Troy can sense uh, Well, he absorbs telepathy through his pores. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. Uh, my good thing was O'Brien. Uh, he gets a name. He is a bi- not only does he get a name, but he's boy a, does he. <laughs> yeah, he's a big part of this episode. And O'Brien gets a name. <laughs> I like that he's like engineer. Like Jordy doesn't just handle every engineering thing on the ship. It's like I would always hate when a scientist would come on board and he would be a genetic scientist, but he'd also be a physicist, but he'd also be like. Science doesn't cover everything. Data can do that because he knows all Data, everything. Yeah, Data is unique. But no, what I like is while Jordy did engineering stuff in this, they had a transporter-based problem, and O'Brien had to step up and use his expertise of that system. Right. Like I like it gave him a specific job and something to do, and it gave him some nice interaction with people, and just it was cool to see. And even not knowing, like just let's pretend we don't know where he's going to go next. Like he's mm-hmm. not going to be our, one of our favorite characters of all time. It's just nice. That a junior crewman, that a second-tier guy gets some interaction without really... And it's not really at the expense of anyone else. Yeah. No, if we were watching this, like, just without any, like, prior knowledge, then just having this dude show up, who we've seen a couple of times before... Yeah, it's not like like he's been here all along. He really has been here all along. Yeah. (laughs) Like the Jonathan thing on Buffy, where you see him in the background a lot, and then he occasionally has a line, and you see him in the background a little more, and then he he shows up a couple of times for... for a few lines, and then he has an episode that he's involved in, and then all of a sudden he's part of the court, like yeah. part of the regular uh, roster. Exactly, yeah. and I, I really like that, and and it just it makes the ship, the uh, Kirk's Enterprise never felt like, like the, yeah there were people, and he always told us how many there were. Mm-hmm. Like he's responsible for four hundred and twenty lives. Might as but... well have been coat racks or ping pong balls. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you had he's responsible for the lives of, of his best friend. Four hundred and eighty-five ping pong balls. No, he's and responsible his five buddies for the lives of his friend. No, his two buddies. His two buddies. His three acquaintances. Yeah, and then who? The woman. <laughs> <laughs> because just in case they get to Eden Planet, they need to have a woman. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Uh, and and uh, Nurse and the, Chapel, I suppose. And the likelihood of them getting to Eden Planet is about one in one. Yep, exactly. Uh, now, all that said, it's nice to flesh out the, the secondary crew, and it's nice to, to all that. I did say at the expense of no one else, but where the hell is Riker? <laughs> this is the, like, seventh episode in a row where he's just been, like, way off in the background, and he's got, like, three lines, and he's just sort of standing there. He's kind of in room meat. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, I know it's hard to... I mean... As an ensemble show, this particular episode stood out to me because just about every... I mean, Troy had nothing to do because she never has anything to do. I can't sense anything across space, Captain, which is strange because normally I can. (laughs) I'm quite good at it. You do Troy as sort of a girl, Nick. (laughs) (laughs) I'm fine with that, actually. Ooh, delay, Captain. I would like a pizza hamburger, Captain. (laughs) Um, but it, I mean, for the most part, they try this, these writers and a few other people have done a good job of, this is an ensemble, everyone gets something to do, but, uh, and, and, you know, Pulaski's the main focus, but 
everyone else gets something except Riker. He's just kind of there. Yeah, he kind of got handed the short end of the stick yeah. this week. Can right. I say hailing frequencies open, guys? No. Please? That's Worf's oh. job. Oh. Uh, Matt, what about you? I thought this was a decent enough Pulaski episode, I guess. <laughs> I didn't hate it. All right. Is that the best we're going to get out of you? Grudging yeah, basically. <laughs> and your bad thing? I still don't like her. Like, I was flat out told, Matt, if you don't like her after this episode, then there's something wrong with you. Well, I still don't like her. <laughs> I mean, my, my honest assertion is if you don't like her after this episode, you're just not going to like her. Because this is the best, like, you get very distinct idea of what she is. This couldn't mm-hmm. have been a Beverly episode. Nope. It was very much written for Pulaski to establish her character and to show how she's different. Mm-hmm. And if you don't like her here, you just don't like her. I, I'm fine with her on the show as a character. Okay. I just don't like her. Why? I mean, really, we haven't gotten into this. Why? I don't know. <laughs> Apart from Pissed she's me mean to people you like. Is it because <laughs> she isn't as pretty as Beverly? It's a it's a number of things. I just seriously, we're doing a show where we analyze. You should you should defend yourself, Dan. I am trying to. She just rubs me the wrong way. But there's conflict. There's so little conflict yeah. in in Roddenberry era. Trek. Yeah, and normally you'd think I would like that. I love yes. it on DS9. That's the big reason I like her is because she brings in a little hostility. Not not like blatant, you know, like um, insubordination, but mm-hmm. she does what she thinks is right and she overrides the captain when it's appropriate and, you know, I like I, that. I like that she kind of bosses Picard around in medical emergencies because that's what the doctor should that's do. That's what all the doctors should do. That's what Bones did and that's what Beverly should have done. Yeah, but we talked about this. Bur- Bones earned that by being around... Like by being the Kirk. captain's friend. <laughs> well, yes, but still, that's that's a loophole. Pulaski still just got here. Yeah, but but she's the doctor, and the doctor has to. The doctor is the one who's actually responsible for the lives of those four hundred and eighty-five yes. ping pong balls. Oh no, now it's like a thousand. <laughs> yeah, plus they're horrible kids. Well, yeah, and they're horrible wives. <laughs> Not yet. There's a horrible botanist on board that will one day be <laughs> O'Brien's horrible wife. But who put this botanist here? <laughs> Botany Bay. She's serving in the botany bay, man. Oh, no. (laughs) No, I just, like I said, I really like the way it unfolded. There's a lot of tiny little details that I quite like. Just little things. But things that make it feel more like a Starfleet thing and less like people who are just stumbling their way through space. Mm -hmm. It's sort of, it's a lot like uh, last, last week's with the deaf guy. It's just like there's no sort of huge conflict here for our guys, except for you know Pulaski, but who cares? <laughs> but um, it, it's more sort of it's it, it's very much more procedural. And I kind of like that there's no big giant danger. Like I mean, mm-hmm. Pulaski's in danger, but the whole ship isn't about to. The B story isn't about the ship blowing up. No, yeah, I mean, mean worst the worst thing that could happen is that she dies and they leave. Yeah, yeah. but I mean, we've had that. All this season, for the most part, where we yeah. really don't have any big, looming, dangerous threats. It's just they managed to generate conflict in interesting ways. And that's what made Next Gen so distinct from the original series is you don't have to have the Doomsday yeah. Machine or, you know, like Garth of Izar or whatever. You can have thoughtful shows where something's at stake, but it's not the universe every single time. Right. And it's nice. Also, um... When they, they beam over one of the science kids uh, mm-hmm. onto the ship encased in starolite. <laughs> it's um, styrofoam. And um, it, they're expecting a kid, but it's actually just like a like a nerdy like 20-something 20, yeah. guy who's all chiseled. Right. Um, and Troy's down there, and I just see her looking at him, and I'm just like, oh, she's going to fall in love with him. <laughs> <laughs> Too late. <laughs> well, that is what she does. Oh, but no, Captain. she just senses that he's a life form. Yeah, I, I'm sensing a presence. Really, he's right the fuck here. 
God. I'm sensing extremely tight underwear. <laughs> I'm sensing a fully formed, genetically engineered area. <sighs> Hello, <That's his> area. <laughs> what else? <laughs> Botany batch. And Brian doesn't look at all pleased to see it. <laughs> no. That's the thing, and, and we'll see this more in the next episode. Now that O'Brien's becoming a guy, like, well, I'll, I'll save my observations for the next episode, but there's a lot of times where he's sort of standing there, and he's still doing some good acting. Yep. And I just want to see more of him. Because he's awesome. Yep. He really I hope is. he gets a spinoff someday. <laughs> Sir, his, uh, his chiseled features are making me uncomfortable and doughy. <laughs> <laughs> Wish I looked like that. <laughs> would you stop eating mutton every day? Maybe then you would uh, be a little no. less doughy. I won't be doing that. Oh, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get Guinness in the future, right? <laughs> well, sort of. Synth the Guinness? Ugh, that's the worst. Uh, any any further business? I mean, this was just good. I, it was solid. Like, even, you know, Matt, even though you don't like Pulaski, you have to acknowledge that this was a decent episode. Like, it wasn't... It was an okay episode. Well, it was better than anything in season one. That's true. It's better than... I don't know, the outrageous O'Connor. <laughs> That's certainly true. Oh, the main doctor from the planet looked like everybody's mom. Yeah. She looked like kind of like your mom, actually, Matt, except, like, older. A little bit. I guess. <laughs> All right. Awkward silence while Matt <laughs> thinks of his mom. <laughs> Are we ready to press forward now? Please. I have, I have one more thing. Okay. And that is... What the fuck, Star Trek? The hair is getting even weirder. (laughs) Yeah, you guys are too young to remember the late 80s. That's just hair. Like, it looks like Wesley is trying to copy um, Riker's hair, which actually I kind of like, because he's like, I just want to be like Riker. Well, yeah. But he uses all this hairspray to make it happen, and then the guy down in, um, down at the transporter, uh, O'Brien. O'Brien's, like, assistant. (laughs) It's huge and Oh, God, yeah. It's like plastic. It's made of styrolite. So that's your haircut there, eh? You look like that every day, huh? Listen, we can't all be born with beautiful, like, curly locks, okay? No, that's true. take you every morning? You can't. (laughs) (laughs) All right, do you have a quote for us? I do. Um, When uh, Picard takes over the view screen on the other ship, uh, he comes out of his uh, his, uh, ready room and says this. I have verified receipt of the access codes for the Lantry, Captain. Graham. Yeah, it was hard not to just keep repeating that. After, <laughs> and uh, so we did. Yep. I just, the entire time, writing my, my summary, Grand. I just wanted to write, that's all I wanted to write for my summary. Grand. Yeah, the problem is, you know, when you have a great quote like that, you, you want to save it up. <laughs> you really want it to have that, you want, you want them to say it in their own words so the listeners can really appreciate. Yeah. I thought it was grand. Now, however, we can use it forever. <laughs> That's grand, Bill. We finally have a rating system for episodes. If it's good, it's grand. If it's bad, it's garbage. Garbage to grand. <laughs> it, was just, it was just, the guys were just saying, we did that thing you wanted us yeah. to do, Captain. And it's a neat trick, but it's not a it's grand just, trick. Just, you know, a procedural thing. We, yeah. we, just, we took over their view screen. Yep. Grand. Grand. Grandiose. No, no, sir, I don't think it is grand. I think it's fine. No, it's grand. You it's trust what you me told us this. to do. <laughs> All right, moving forward. Uh, my episode was A Matter of Honor, which unsurprisingly is a Klingon episode. Oh. As it what should shock. be. As, as Code of Honor should have been in the first place. Yep. <clears throat> so, 
Realizing that we're eight episodes into the season and we haven't done a Riker episode yet, Captain Picard sees the new Benzite exchange officer that's just come aboard and thinks, hey, we can send Bill to a different ship. Ooh, and if it's a Klingon ship, we can get our Klingon episode out of the way for this year, too. And so, with almost no preparation whatsoever, Riker is sent to live with his new parents, a ship full of Klingons commanded by Christopher Collins, better known as Chris Lotta, better known as Starscream and Cobra Commander. Unfortunately, the guy plays a pretty solid Klingon, which means there's no real signs of those iconic characters from my childhood there. The whole screechy cowardice thing is pretty much mutually exclusive with being a good Klingon captain. Okay, Riker does prepare for his assignment a little bit by eating a bunch of Klingon food. But really, that's about all. He doesn't learn to speak Klingon. He doesn't really learn their regulations, though he does seem to grasp the general gist of them. He doesn't even get Klingon armor. They just beam him over in his Starfleet uniform. Oh, but he's holding some kind of tracking device that Worf gives him, which he hides somewhere. Pretty certain those uniforms don't have any pockets, so maybe we better just drop this one for now. The Klingon ship also continues on its way, moving inevitably toward the moment at which they'll force Riker to fire on his own ship, because everyone knows that's where this was all headed. I said this the last time the Klingons show up, and I'll say it again. We don't get a lot of cooperative Klingons on this show. They're always renegades, or else they find some wacky misunderstanding to justify becoming renegades, or something. For a culture that's supposed to be at peace with the Federation, they have no problem perceiving the tiniest slight as an act of aggression. This time it's some kind of space bacteria that's eating through the hull. Fortunately, the smuggest Benzite we've ever seen since the last Benzite we saw is currently serving his exchange sentence on the Gulag NCC 1701D. Has sorted it all out and saves the day after learning an important lesson about shut the fuck up and do your job. It's not a bad character arc for a junior officer, actually. I wish they'd do a Wesley episode like that. Uh, my good thing, this is the first great Klingon episode, not to mention the first time we realized that Worf may be a little more tightly wound than the average Klingon. Oh yeah, that was great. We're finally sort of like, no, Klingons aren't like this guy. No, Riker's surprised that they laugh. Yeah. And is like, no, it's just Worf. Every other Klingon is probably, you no, know. No, he straight up says, yeah. hey, I didn't picture Klingons laughing. All the other Klingons I've dealt with, including Worf, who I see every day, yeah. doesn't laugh or have any fun. Yep. No, like, and well, Kling, we, uh, Worf's a stick in the mud. We, and, and we all thought that the stick in the mud thing was sort of a retcon, because on DS9 they call it really, you know, there's a lot of Klingons around, there's a big, you know, thing. And, and Dax knows everything about the Klingons, and she's like, what's your deal, dude? Yep. Loosen up. Yeah, I mean, yes, honor, but fun, too. Blood wine. Come on, man. I do not drink blood wine. <laughs> you saying he's a prune fun. juice vampire? <laughs> <laughs> Blah. <laughs> Yeah, that um, explains what his sash is. It's a Dracula trophy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but when he beams over to when Riker beams over to the Klingon ship, we like there's at least three distinct personalities. It's not all Klingons are exactly the same. The captain mm. is one way, and the first officer is one way, and there's a, a junior officer that he kind of makes friends with, and they're all different guys. Yeah, and that you know sounds, different people like it, you get, but that sounds. Like, well, duh, but really, this show, I mean, if he went to a Ferengi ship, they would all be the same. And, if a Romulan ship, they would all be the same. And later on, it gets way worse, like, where every single Bajoran is identical. But yep. I will say the Klingons have always been, because Martok and Galron and Worf are all very different characters. And then we get mm-hmm. Kern, who's also different yes. again. Yep. No, and it's nice that if there's only one alien race that they paint with, with you know, subtle brushes, it's the Klingons, and I'm glad. Weird, because the Klingons are not exactly a subtle race. Well, there are some that are totally, you know, honor, 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 and then there are some who are like, yeah, honor, I guess. Whatever, man. Settle down. No, I, I really enjoyed that. Um, and I like, you know, the Klingons were, 
like it was nice to see them in season one and we're starting to get an idea of what they're like. But here it's really like, okay, this is right. This is what they're like. I'm also kind of curious about where women fit into the Klingon uh, culture. I want Peter David to tell me. Because <laughs> you get Klingon chick warriors who are on the ship, mm-hmm. but we don't ever see a Klingon chick captain. They aren't allowed to be uh, the head of, like, in the council. And they're not allowed to be landowners or whatever. Mm-hmm. So what? where's the line? Like, what's their deal? I think somebody has probably made sense of it. But you're right, it is a little confusing. Because, yeah, there's going to be political intrigue episodes where the Dura sisters can't head the council. They have to have their brother stand yeah. in because he's a dude. And then later there's a thing about land ownership because Quark has to be the dude because the female Klingon can't do that either. So, yeah, there is there is some inconsistency there. But, way. I mean, you can still serve on a Klingon ship as a warrior. Yeah, because there's two of them, which yeah. Riker threatens to sleep with both of them, because, of course, he does. <laughs> there are two of them. Yes. Maybe he did. We weren't with him every single moment. Yeah. Which would mean he's had more Klingon tail than Worf ever gets. Yep, because at one point he has sex with a half-Klingon woman, and that's pretty much it. One half. Yep. Yep. Half. That doesn't even count. Also, I assume that Riker's also probably gotten with Dax, because... Yeah. Probably. Yeah. And Troy. Well, so, yeah, uh, we know. Yeah. <laughs> so, does Worf just follow uh, Riker around? I think so, yeah. He just gets his sloppy seconds. That's just how it goes. Uh, my bad thing? I actually had trouble thinking of a bad thing. I guess... Yeah, this is a fucking great episode. <laughs> yeah, it is. I guess the Benzite Exchange Officer is annoying. Well, he definitely is annoying, but he's supposed to be annoying. Does that count? I just don't get, like, it seems like this whole exchange thing is really sloppy. Yeah, that's it's really... badly thought out. No, everyone just goes to the ship and acts the way they normally act, and they're expected to, you know, conform to... Mm-hmm. And I wonder, like, who is in charge of this? Because he goes to an indoctrination meeting where they're supposed to tell him how things run on the ship. Who is running it, Troy? <laughs> I sense yeah. you're all nervous, so uh, we'll break early. <laughs> it's like, it, 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 like, there's no prep for this whatsoever. Like, they dump Riker on the Klingon ship because it's in the area. Yeah, and the thing is... It feels like the entire episode took place over the course of a day. Well, and when he beans back, he says that was the shortest posting ever. Like, they make a point of saying he wasn't gone very long. Yeah. The thing is, especially on a Klingon ship where they make it very clear that he could die if he Mm -hmm. doesn't follow regulations correctly and observe their customs... It seems like he should be very, very up to speed on how things work. I sort of feel like the Starfleet guys are like, well, they're not going to kill him. Come on. But they would. And the Klingons are like, yeah, we we will do that. Yeah. So. And, and putting someone on the bridge of the Enterprise, the Enterprise is always out on the frontier and doing dangerous stuff. You need to have everyone who knows what, what they're doing. Yeah, because the yeah. view screen comes on and some really specific, you know, alien with very specific, you know... Needs comes on and, and you say the wrong thing and you're fucked. Well, we yeah, had that like, one we... that one guy who, if you didn't say their greeting correctly, exactly that's they what I was thinking. Off the ship. Yep. Yeah, some fucking Benzite guys gonna be like, uh, "Excuse me," but the actual actually... way, boom, you're dead. Yeah. I mean, I get them transferring these guys to the Enterprise. No, but exchange like, fucking... officers are a cool idea. Yeah, fucking work downstairs. You yeah. don't just get to be on the bridge. You yeah. have to go be down in Jordy's engineering crew, where Jordy yeah. will make you play Dungeons and Dragons because he's the boss of you. <laughs> right. <laughs> We're not all Wesley. We don't just get to be on the bridge. Right. And he only, because of his mother, and and we're still trying to clean that up since she's gone. Mm-hmm. But that, that's a one-time thing. Um, what about you? Good thing, bad thing, Amanda? Um, I want to say that in Next Gen, the alien food looks so much better than the original series. Yeah, they they have that scene where he's sitting in 10 Forward, and he's trying all these different Klingon dishes to, to get himself worked up for their mm. weird creepiness. We've uh, come a long way since, like, 
Plato squares and red yeah. celery, baby. Oh, absolutely. No, it, it all looks like weird. Like, I mean, it could just be like a lobster claw dyed blue or something, but it yeah. looks weird. Yeah, and something I mean, that's lo- just like tentacles. Like, yeah. But tentacles and seaweed. But it looked it looked good. Actually, it looks... The, the food... And this is in Next Gen and in Deep Space Nine. The food here looks better than any civilian clothes they've ever done. Yep. Ever. Yeah, when they paint a, a picture of people's, like, private lives, and you, you mentioned this in, in terms of the quarters, because they had to go to Pulaski's quarters in the previous episode, and there's nothing there. Nothing. They, they don't do a great job of always painting what people's off hours look like, and that includes clothing and stuff. But. And, and we know that they have interests, and we know that they have everyone in Starfleet is interested in the past, so they could have... Specifically their... naval ships. Yeah, model ships and books. Yeah. yeah. So, like, you know... Uh, Riker's got his trombone and nothing else. Yep. And his harp porn collection. Well, yeah, but the harp porn is, you can turn <laughs> that off. Disc, yeah. yeah it's and not that's hidden on. under his mattress. Right. Picard doesn't even have a bookshelf. Nope, he, with keeps, all those us, books. he keeps that stuff in his ready room. <laughs> yeah. So his bedroom is just that big window. It's just that big window in his tiny pajamas. I like that. <laughs> He's European. That's just what they're like. It's, I'm French. My balls are hanging out. <laughs> very continental. <laughs> In space. <laughs> uh, and your bad thing? Um, we talked about this a little bit earlier. But my bad thing is it was a real wasted opportunity not to see Riker in the Klingon armor. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that just makes sense. Yeah, you know? he's, got the, he's got the build for it. Plus, the, the Benzite exchange officer is wearing a Starfleet uniform. Mm-hmm. You would think they would give him a Klingon uniform and a Klingon rank, and he's technically part of their ship. Yeah. Or have the Benzite officer wear his right. Benzite clothes. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. But Riker, Riker could be a Klingon. Like he's, he's well, got, he's got the build for it. He's got the nice, big, broad shoulders. He's also taller than every Klingon. Well, yep. He just Chris, leers over the captain. Chris, Chris Lada, aka Chris Collins. At this point in his life, we had uh, on Sarcastic Voyage. We had the um, the writer guy who wrote for Transformers and GI Joe, uh, uh, Michael Michael Charles Hill, right? Yes. yes. Um, Michael Charles Riley. Yes. <laughs> Charles Michael Riley. Uh, no, he he talked about how, and he, and he was very gracious about it. He didn't, you know, like tip anything about his personal life. But he he was not in great health toward the end of his life, and I'm pretty sure he drank and drugged himself to death. Mm-hmm. And this a big fat party animal. This episode was near the end of his life, and that Klingon captain did not get out of that chair much. <laughs> it reminded me a bit of the stories you hear about Orson Welles late in his life, where after he'd go up some stairs, he'd have to have a little bit of a lie down. <laughs> I just imagine he's, you know, I'll be the captain, but I've got to sit in the chair the whole time. Maybe I'll stand up at the end, but that's it. That uh, brings up my other possible bad thing, was the uh, Captain Starscream has one eyebrow that's just, like, way far away from the other one. It looks like it's starting to peel off part well, the, of the way through. The lighting on a Klingon ship is such that they can cover up, I think, some makeup discrepancies. And near the end, when they beam him over to the, the Enterprise bridge, when it's all bright, yep. you can see... I think it's probably been like that the whole time, and you couldn't tell, because yeah, there's fog and low lights. But now... But that's great for on the Klingon ship, because you've got to do makeup on, like, you know, six or seven different guys. Right. But when you come over to the Enterprise... That's what I'm saying. I don't <laughs> think they fixed it. I think yeah. they left him in the same makeup, and you saw how crappy it looked. Yep. Uh, what about you, Matt? Uh, I thought this was a great defining episode for, uh, especially Riker. Oh yeah, this yeah. is like, this is really, all Riker. We really get him as a guy now. Like yep. I, I love I, I love him just sort of throwing himself into Klingon food. He's got like a big fucking like table of this stuff, and he's just going through it. Yep, and he's not like ew. Yeah, like everything's like I can do this. This is the spirit of a, an exchange thing. I gotta, I gotta do yeah. their stuff. He's, he's a little hesitant time. to eat yep. the uh, the the writhing gach, but yep. uh, 
Yeah, that's the only t- only thing he he winces at, and that's only because when he tried Gach before, it, it wasn't like he wasn't expecting it. Yeah, he thought he was prepared, and was like, "Oh, it's alive." You huh. guys eat this right. alive, but, but then he did. But Riker does this every time he goes down to an alien planet. He's one of the few of the starship officers who's not just like, "Oh, your primitive planet sure does suck." Well, uh, and that's why I buy that he's the charmer. Mm-hmm. Because that's why it doesn't bother me that he sleeps with everyone and everything. Because he does that. Because he goes somewhere and he's like, "You guys are pretty cool, all right." But he does this <laughs> even on that horrible Angel One planet of women. Yep. Uh, where he's the only. He puts one. on the skimpy outfit yeah. and he's like, "All right." Picard looks like Picard's. But oh, this just looks like Picard's pajamas. <laughs> Continental. <laughs> <laughs> My balls are no. hanging out though. <laughs> No, I agree. This is definitely like a definitive Riker episode. Yeah. Especially the first thing that happens after he's welcomed on the ship is the first officer challenges him and he fucking knocks him on his ass. And like, yeah, of course he does. Sucker punch. Like he's respectful, but he also steps up when he has to. Apparently Klingon ships are a lot like prison. Yeah. (laughs) If you you take out the first bitch, then, you know. Yeah. Everyone else will step back. But there's a great bit when they're, when they're eating. Uh Uh-huh. And, and uh, this will, I don't want to tip my quote yet, but there's a bit. Where they they hint that Klingon he couldn't handle Klingon women and uh, he's like I'll take them both. <laughs> uh, 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 I bet uh, you will too. Yep, I bet you Bill. <laughs> oh. uh, anyway, no, um, I this is one of those episodes I hadn't seen but I'd read about, so I had a very sort of specific idea of what it was gonna what it was gonna be about. You know, Riker goes on board and he finds like everyone's everyone rags on him and at first he thinks he's gonna quit and then he sort of rallies. Not like that at all. He fucking he drops into the role as, like, a Klingon yep. uh, commander. And most of them, like, is apart from that one thing and the fact that the captain gives him crap, but the rest of the crew just completely respect him and like him. Yep. And they're all laughing together within five minutes. And I like yep. that the Klingons are willing to... And they say we don't... We haven't seen a lot of humans up close, yeah. but they're willing to... They're not just like, oh, you're a human, so you're not as good. Right. Yeah. No, they're like, all right, let's see what Starfleet sent us. Oh, you're pretty all right, Bill. <laughs> I like that beard. Yeah. <laughs> Let me ruffle it. <laughs> no, it was it was fantastic. I, yeah. I quite enjoyed this one. Um, no, I, I thought we locked out this week was, I thought, two quite good episodes. Mm. And different from each other. Yep. Oh, totally. But once again, there's not really any huge, looming, like, overblown threat. No, the worst thing that's going to happen is, because, I mean, it's pretty clear that the Paw is no match for the Enterprise. Like, it's right. a, it's a l- little dingy. They're, they're not going to get blown up by no, that. No, but, I mean, that could still start an international incident. Like we True. Could, that could lead to war. And Riker's in danger, but... Yeah, we like him. Yeah. But apart from that, it's not like, you know, some evil... Like, it's just a misunderstanding. Yeah. And it could have I mean, gone so wrong. It could have been just such a terrible, like, farce. Yeah. But it was it was handled quite well. Sort of that misunderstanding that sort of leads into my bad thing, which is we got another fucking Klingon captain who's just like, I want to attack the Enterprise. Well, yeah. It's just like Worf at the back there. I think we should shoot it. Yeah, no. (laughs) Fucking knock that off. No, we gotta shoot it. There's, um, this is something that will continue for a long time, which is just every Klingon ever. Mm hmm always turns bad. It's like, well, we're their allies, but at, at any fuck at the drop of any hat, <laughs> we will turn on you. Ugh, at the really? drop of a Klingon Dracula trophy. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, overall, I quite enjoyed it. And Riker's thing toward the end where he tricks the, the, the Captain Starscream into beaming over oh, to the man, Enterprise and then takes great. over. Oh, and that, that little, like, Warp gives him a little sort of homing device when he leaves. Right. That looks like a Klingon vibrator. Yeah, it what does. That looks like. It looks like a silver bullet. <laughs> yeah. Yep. 
Here, you'll need this. I will? I don't think I will, Worf. <laughs> and we don't know that he didn't get with those two. He probably didn't because he didn't have time. But it's possible. He, he might have done. Yeah. yeah. Or he might have gone back later. Yeah, it's quite possible. Hi. I could breach your hull. <laughs> oh, and I love uh, I love uh, Riker and the uh, the Commander uh, Klingons sort of friendship. Yeah, no, they they have a great relationship. I would have loved to have seen them bring that guy back eventually. Uh, they don't have to bring everybody back. <laughs> Not that they bring everybody back, but they have to bring him back. I'm sure it's in a Peter David book. Probably, yeah. yeah. And I think this. Friend. I think this ship goes on to have like <sighs> book adventures. It's just a ship. It's just one Klingon ship. They have millions. Book adventures. Of course. Audio plays. Yep. And yet Grappler Zorn has not been in a single <laughs> expanded universe story. Where's the fucking justice there? It's a god, It's a goddamn travesty. It should, yeah. They should have been a story of Grappler Zorn's redemption. Yes. Yes. Exactly. I mean, even Mr. Hengis came back once. <laughs> well, obviously there's a, there's a void in the Star Trek expanded universe, and we need to fill it. Um... Talking a little bit more about the Benzite officer, there's a scene where he's just sort of, like, wandering around the bridge, <laughs> yep. and he goes up to everyone and says how much better they could do their job, but doesn't actually give them any suggestions. Nope. And I just felt like, good, doesn't feel nice to be smugged at, does it, Enterprise crew? <laughs> it's not a very nice thing to do. This season, they've really backed off on that, which is nice. But yeah, it's not It's not time to let them off the hook yet, yeah, either. fine, enjoy this, it's not very nice. But we I haven't, I mean, Matt, have we had a lot of Shut Up Future Man moments this season so far? Not so much this season. That's what I mean. I think they've improved. I think that yeah. that has, I mean, there's been one or two. Well, they still need to, they still need to get to, they still need a dressing down from a blue man, though. <laughs> yeah, but it, it is nice that he's, he's looking over people's shoulder. It's like, huh, 99% efficiency, huh? I bet we could improve that. And then he walks away. Bye. How? How yeah. could we? I'm sure that would be fine, but how? Yeah. 99 is not 100. Nope, it sure isn't. Oh, you're doing a really good job over here, Muffin. <laughs> also, I just, um, like, Wesley and the Benzite have a little tete-tete uh, just mm-hmm. sort of happening in the back of the crew, and it's like, you're on the bridge, shut up. Yeah, you're Get both the most junior work. guys here. Go, yeah. go back to your po- Go back to the fry station, Wesley. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see, um, like, because I don't see any of the other guys in the background ever just sort of having little no. chats. No, no. That's we, what the um, elevator's about, for. Yeah, we talked about this during the episode. Um, Peter David, not surprisingly, actually talks about how no one on the Enterprise, that's not a bridge crew, ever sort of talks in the background or anything. Right. And it's just, when you're working for Picard, if you're not one of his best friends, you kind of keep your mouth shut. Well, that makes sense. He's a yeah. scary dad figure. You yeah. You said at one point that when he kind of gave the, the men's side a dressing down, you're like, I really would not want to disappoint that guy ever. No, it, I, you get that kind of dressing down from him, you go back, go back to your quarters and you kill yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well. Oh my oh. god, I disappointed Picard. Maybe that's he doesn't even Riker's know who I am. <laughs> Maybe that's why Riker's got so many daddy issues. That, that makes be. a lot of sense. He had a good relationship with his dad, but now he's made him question everything. <laughs> that could very well be. Um, this episode, I, O'Brien had like three lines, and he was just awesome. There's a, yep. there's a bit when the Benzite first beams on, and he says something smug, and O'Brien's just got a look. Yep. That's it. It's just a look. And, and he shares it with Riker. Yeah, it's like, it's like oh. And it's just... Right there is better acting and better character development than Troy has gotten so far. 
Mm-hmm. It's sad. That one moment. That and then, face. And then when Riker goes over to the Klingon yeah. ship, he's just sort of ribbing it. I don't, I don't envy you, sir. Well, why not? It should be fun. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Whatever. Have fun. No, I God. Just, it, and, and again, we might be projecting because we know what O'Brien's going to be, but he's just so fucking likable. Yep. And 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 Colmini's so great at carrying. You know, they gave him thirty seconds worth of lines in this episode, and he just he, he nails it. Great he's, in all of them. He's so fun. Uh, any anything else? No. All right then. <laughs> <laughs> Usually it's like I don't think so. Well, <laughs> no. I'm tired of saying I don't think so, or right I think then. that's it. Very well. So no. How about you? Uh, also no. All right. Let's go to my quote then. No. No. There you go. Let's go to my quote then, which is, uh, they're in the mess hall on the, on the, on the Riker, on the USS Riker, (laughs) on the Klingon ship, and they're giving him crap, and, and he just completely nails it. Would you like something easier? Easier. Yes. If Klingon food is too strong for you. Perhaps we could get one of the females to breastfeed you. <laughs> I just, I enjoy that exchange. Yep. It's like, well, maybe I will. And I like that he's laughing at himself, too. Yep, like, they're making a joke at my expense, but I'm not going to be a dick about it, because, yep. of course, I'm the new guy. Of course they're doing that. But if you, oh, cool. you could well, picture yeah. Worf being in the same scene where he'd be like... That would not be honorable. No, we we pi- tried to picture other guys in this situation, and nobody would handle themselves the way Riker would. No. Jordy would be terrified, I, yeah. crying. <laughs> Data would try too hard. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's Riker. This only Riker could have only done this. Also, only Riker could have gone to China. Yes, <laughs> Klingon China, the Klingon Chinese homeworld. <laughs> um, th- this also will set up a sort of callback in season. Three, I believe, where a Klingon officer comes uh, in an exchange program to serve on the Enterprise, which is nice. Yeah. And that's one of the episodes on the Blu-ray sampler, so I'm looking forward to that. Yes. On the Moo-Ray court. <laughs> um, and that is that is it, I suppose. Um, yep. Next week, I mean, we've had some pretty good episodes so far, but next week is the first truly unqualified great episode. Yep. We're doing and Measure of Man, and we've, we've talked this one up a lot, but rightfully so. I'm going to come back for that one, too. Nope. Bob called dibs. Oh. It's Bob's birthday next week. You give him a good episode. No. No. I shan't. Plus, you got your one for this season, and you got to, you got to yell at Matt about Pulaski, which is what you wanted. That is all that I want. Now plug my show. Uh, you plug your show. <laughs> so, if you enjoyed my appearance here, no, me and Irene, who's all, who, I don't think she, you've had her on this show. No, you she's have... she's far too busy for Oh, us. yeah, she's yes. too important to talk about. She's not too important to talk about stuff, Have you right? seen the size of her briefcase? <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but she has been on the Sarcastic Voyage show. We do a review show where we review literature books and uh, trashy anthologies. Uh, it's Girl on Book Action, which you can find at girlonbookaction.blogspot.com, and you should. And that is all. All right, and with that, we will be back next week. Matt, say your thing. This episode was grand. <laughs> That's not your thing. <laughs> I have a new thing. <laughs> We can't end until you say your thing. <laughs> See you, folks.
The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is a co-production of Ron Algar Watt and Matt Robotham, copyright 2012. Please don't sue us. We're just doing this for fun.